Hi everyone and welcome to episode two of the Glass Half Full podcast. I'm your host Andy Stevens, and this week we will be discussing all things coach development. I have two perfect guests lined up to discuss this with. Introducing in the red corner, James Clark. Good evening mate, how are you doing? Very good, thanks James, thanks for joining. And over in the blue corner, Mr Richard Cheatham. Evening guys, hope you're both well. Thanks for joining us guys. Okay, so just for our listener at home there, guys, uh, Clarky, starting with you, could you give us the, the elevator lift pitch, how you got started, what you're up to, where you're heading, all that kind of stuff. Go for it, mate. Oh, big question, mate, big question. Um, 30 seconds, no pressure. <laughs> so I run my own company um, doing coach development and coach education, mainly working in primary schools with teachers, delivering mostly mixed, mixed PE, but sort of focusing on the rugby side of things. Cool. Uh, Richard? Yeah, I'm uh, 10 weeks into a 12-week first semester at University of Winchester teaching on the sports coaching degree. Um, a lot of the external coach development work has either been sort of deferred um, uh, or there is moved move to sort of online delivery. I was online with Great Britain Wheelchair Rugby last night. So and just navigating the, um, the virtual space of teaching and and coaching and learning, with some practical. Excellent. So I guess for you first, then, Cheats. Um, in an ideal world, what would coach development look like to you? Well, I suppose the the, the thing is that um, is being able to prevent the question that says, "I wish I'd known." And I think one of the things that coach development theme really throughout it is about preparing for the unexpected, the adaptation, the, the lack of uh, the non-linear learning that we have. Um, and just being able to say, well, kind of, I told you this would happen. Not not throughout the course, but just making it that realism. This is likely to happen. So a simple sure, one sure. is... Um, I said it to my students today, actually, or yesterday. Um, I had 19 students. Um, and I said to this one, I'd walked in, so you've got to go home now. And he said, why is that? I said, because I can't work with 19. 24, I can do six groups of four, two groups of 12, <laughs> eight groups of three. 18, I can do six groups of three, two groups of nine. I've got 19. I have no idea what to do with you. You better go home. And he turned and went. And... Uh, and obviously, you know, kind of recovered him, but it was about that ability to adapt to whatever turns up in whatever conditions. So that's thinking along the lines of those, the perfect session plan that's very meticulously written out in advance mm. is just suddenly ripped up and thrown out the window pretty much. So, but I really like that, the, the wish I'd known concept. I'm liking that. What about you, Clarkie? What would it look like to you, mate? Um, I think, think just following on from Cheetah's point, I think it's just it's just got to be open. I mean, you talk talk about the perfect session plan. I think the perfect session plan is is scalable and adaptable. You should be able to sort of progress and regress and suit the whoever's in front of you or the group that's in front of you. And I think aiding aiding anyone you're working with to be able to just take on whether it be under sixes or seniors and be able to, to deliver a purposeful session. I think that's that's what we're all striving for. Cool. Yeah, I should remember that I, I've done a session before where I've pr- pretty much run the same thing 
for under 12s, well, under 11s as they were at the time, through to under 18s, mm-hmm. and just laying on the different constraints. And But the, the basis of the session was pretty much the same. As you say, it's just that adapting it and tweaking it just to make it work for everyone's there. Um, so, Chiefs, how would you, so that you talk about the non-linear side of learning, mm-hmm. what, what does that look like to uh, in reality? Well, so there's no, there's no um, non-linear. There's no um, I teach, therefore you learn. Move on to the next stage, because in front of you, everybody will be at different stages and respond to different stimulus and different activities. Uh, they'll they'll struggle. Um, they'll achieve at different rates. Um, very often, it's just. Um, the adaptation, the old phrase, 101 ways to skin a cat, used to be a swimming teacher. Uh, used to be a swimming teacher in my past, and man, you were just trying to find all these different strategies to get people to the concept of learning to be able to float, understanding about floating, and and the traction would be with some, but not with others. Uh, and you know, I'd always say that maybe this isn't a good example but you know i failed my driving test three times so i used to say when i was learning to drive to your friends how many lessons did it take to pass your test and they say 12 so that was it 12 lessons and you pass your test it was never like that and learning is the same you know you enter into it we all arrive at the end destination at different times with different experiences different coaches um different people alongside us um and I think that's the other thing is just to be prepared that if someone says to you or you say, say to them, what didn't you understand? They may come back to you and say, well, actually, can you coach it so I can understand? Because that's not working for sure, me. Sure. Yeah. It, it's interesting is when, when I hear the phrase non-linear, I do think back to you a couple of years ago at the Hampshire coaching conference when you gave everybody a double card and there was a quite a distinct folding of arms and sitting back in chairs of uh, the attendees. And it was, it was almost, what is this? What is this madness? Um, mm. As you say, it, it's, that, it's, it's trying to deliver something different, isn't it? Get you thinking differently. Um, so you're saying about um, everything's going on, lots of stuff's going on online now and some practical work. So, Apart from these current restrictions we've got on the travel and the meeting, what do you guys, Clarky, come to you first? What do you think are the biggest challenges that we face with coach development at the moment? I think it's always been a challenge, but I think it's being able to build relationships. I think it's becoming harder than ever to have those face-to-face moments and have those sort of conversations, especially with time being limited. And obviously now now we're limited to sort of when when and how we can meet up as well. But I think for me at the at the center of any any sort of developmental sort of goals or it, it has to be about building a strong trusting relationship and it's it's how sure. we go about that without having face to face contact or or having limited time to be able to build build those connections so are you you seeing that in the classroom as well cheeks similar kind of yeah i mean i i i i have um the, I suppose the conversation was recalibrate. I need to recalibrate what good, good teaching looks like. The essence of teaching is lost. You know, I don't believe that 
that people saw the future is online. Yes, some people will now be working from home, but the essence of teaching is that interaction, the ability to look at the cues that the group in front of you give, their ability to um, behave with one another, which we can't do online. We are a lot safer, if you like, online. We can unmute, uh, hide our camera. So I think the challenge at the moment is to how can we talk about an experience, create an experience that isn't a real one? You know, I use a lot of anecdotes, a lot of videos of my coaching to show the students this is an example of when, but we have rare opportunities to then get them to experience. And experiential learning you know, is one of the richest forms of learning, learning through doing. Like you said, that double card, you know, is you would sell that to somebody else because said you, you've done it, you, you get it, you felt it, you experienced it. And yeah, I wonder when that yeah. coach development space, not sure whether Clarke is the same, is that maybe our coaches are saying for now, well, we'll just put it on hold until the courses start. Um, and the deliverer as well, which is the challenge for us, is we've now got someone delivering who may not have that expertise in online delivery. Sure. Yeah, I mean, there's some of the webinars I've managed to sit in, and you can see even the people delivering it uh, sort of checking emails and that mm. while they're not actually being spoken to or, or talking. So, mm. sort of multiply that up in the classroom, then you're always going to be struggle, struggling to get that full engagement, as you say. If it's if you're all in that room together, actually experiencing it together and, and working through it together, it's it's got to be a lot better for everybody, um, long term and, and short term. Mm. What do you think then? So, if you'd walk into a room uh, and you, I don't know, it's the first day on a coaching course, you guys are developing it, or on there as coach developers, uh, everyone stood around having a coffee. What sort of qualities would you start looking for in the people? And would you actually think of them as what would you be your ideal qualities in a coach? Um, I think, I think for me, sort of the the biggest one I'm looking for 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 any any sort of possibly new coach or coach looking to develop is openness. I think open, openness and honesty and sort of that that willingness almost to the, to sort of be able to discuss not only what they're working on and what their their real strengths are, but what what are they looking to develop? Are they asking questions? Are they are they able to identify where where certain work ons are or or where they need to need to have some improvements. I think so many times sort of you speak to speak to coaches and teachers especially where they're they're almost their view is that there's an expectation so they they feel that they need to be at a level so it's it can become quite quite challenging to break down some barriers and, and to allow people to be vulnerable around their coaching because we're not perfect i've i've definitely run some some not very good sessions in my time um it's just just being able to to open up and talk about those and how how do we move forward and get better sure i mean is there anybody cheats would you ever walk into a room and think after speaking to somebody for five minutes that i can't help this guy or gal um has that ever crossed your mind you think this person's just not cut out to be a coach well no i i i don't think that i mean i probably have experienced that oh my god what what on earth will i do because it's going to be this is going to be a long day or a long weekend or a long course, but it's getting past why they're like that. And sometimes, as you know, those 
the initial behavior can be an anxiety, the uncomfortableness of being with others, the fear of being on a coaching course, um, the uncertainty of who you are. You know, there's no guarantee that I, I don't walk into a group. I've said this in a conversation last week. That I walk in, I've got to create the appetite for learning. I can't walk into a room and say, right, everybody's come on, Rich, teach us some stuff. You know, I've got to say, right, okay, you are here because you want to do this course. It's up to me to create that environment, gives you that thirst for learning. And um, I, I will diverge a little bit off, but come back onto that. Place. I, um, I joke about this going on to a speed awareness course, which um, some of you may know people who've been on one. Um, Mighty. Mighty. Yeah, very close friend of mine um, went on one a couple of times. And uh, he was amongst a group of people, turned up at nine o'clock in the morning, taken the morning off work, paid £100 to attend this course full of full of 30 people who were really reluctant to be there, uh, didn't want to be there. And the tutor walked in and his first question was to everybody, he's right, how many people in this room have told their partners that they're in they're on this course right now? And everybody put, uh, and, um, and nobody put their hand up and everybody burst out laughing. And there was the, the whole room of people who have been very reluctant was suddenly become joined together with that same theme that they had been on a course didn't want to tell people that their partners that they were actually on a speed awareness course so there's ways of breaking that reluctance down and all of a sudden there's a relief of, oh we all we've all made the same mistake you know and it, some people you won't change i appreciate that we, we all we will always have those but it's actually going back to it earlier that everybody will respond differently to a particular task um activity they'll they'll the slow burners the ones who will grow over a course the ones who will be right there bang straight away give me demonstrate here's a story this is what i did and the ones will come later to that and so you have the oxygen stealers at the beginning the ones who really want to do and the ones who just sit back and want to to observe the landscape and then when they feel comfortable step in sure sure um so do you ever find on when we're sort of talking about the qualities of coaches, do you ever find some people that almost hide behind their coaching qualifications to say, well, yeah, I'm here, but you know, I've done this and I've done that and I'm a level this and a level that. I mean, does that ever go up? Or do you think that's a, maybe a, a level of anxiety that they're showing and coming back to that sort of fear side of things? Are they, do you think people are ever concerned about being out of place and looking stupid, even though everyone's there to do the same job? Um, for me Sorry, personally, I, I think a lot of people, a lot of people suffer from imposter syndrome. I I know at the start of sort of my my full time coaching career when I was sort of coaching in different different environments, I definitely felt it definitely felt strange where I was sort of going into into a county setup or a DPP setup and going, oh, should I actually be here or I actually sort of do I deserve to be here? Am I am I good enough and I think it's it's easy to fall into a trap where you're almost trying to prove to yourself how good you are, um, rather sure. than focusing on why you're actually there. Is is to help help people develop and get better, and sort of I think at the end of the day is develop a develop a love for the game. Um, from a from a coach education point of view, I think it's it's understanding everyone everyone has something to offer. So whether it'd be very outgoing people, outspoken people and sort of like Cheats is saying that those are sort of quick burners that are really willing and eager to get in. They, they will have as much to offer as someone who, who is a bit more reserved, wants to, wants to sort of see everything and 
take everything in before before they feel they can have an input. Um, it's sure. it's just finding a way to be able to connect with any sort of any of those sort of individuals and and again like sort of teachers saying create that excitement and that sort of that hunger for for learning and sort of wanting to wanting to challenge and push push and develop. Yeah, it's interesting. I wondered whether well, this is a um, going back to sort of Clarky's point. Something I, I I did with a group of coaches, which is when we walk in there, there is a inevitably the emergence of what's perceived to be a hierarchy, um, not a deliberately arrogant one. But when you chat to people, so I'm only I'm only the junior level one, or I'm and then somebody else, I'm working at this level, and what you want to try and do is actually not make people feel that they are um, on the fringes or less important. Everybody's there to get better. And actually, ultimately, you say to them, it's not about what level you're working at. It's about the difference to make you other people, make to other people. That's why you're here. Mm-hmm. You just happen to yeah. be on this level, of course. So you, you, you kind of flip the question. I've done this before on a, ironically, a level four course at Hartbury. I said to the coaches, when you introduce yourself, how many have introduced yourself in terms of who you're working with and what level you're at? And they all said, yeah, that's our natural go-to. I said, well, walk out of the room. And we took out the room, went back in the room and said, right, you can only introduce yourself now to somebody by the difference you make to other people. Nice. And, it, nice. and what it does is it just actually, cha- it doesn't matter what level you, because you're saying to me that just because you're level four, you're much more important than my daughter's coach is level one. Well, in my world, you're not most important coach for my daughter is, is whoever's in front of her. Um, and it, it's not meant to be confrontational. It's meant to be, so just reframe you, what your role is, what your purpose is. And that takes away this hierarchy of levelness of where you're at. And it makes everybody realise that their purpose is to, you know, create good environments, to have that continue, continuation where people want to come back and they come back in the game and they've been in the game 20, 30 years. Um, and that's really where you want to be with that. Yeah, Absolutely. I mean, I, I definitely agree. I think it's it can be really, really difficult to to, to have this measurement of success. So again, I, I, I remember having a conversation, I can't remember who with, but I think most most parents will have a conversation with their, with their child after they pick them up Are how does he go on in rugby? What was the score? Did you manage the score? I think it's it's reframing that and sort of just going, ah, oh, actually, did you have fun? I think so many coaches want to want to sort of show off and say, oh, actually, I've coached at this level and I've worked with this this level of athlete. Where we're actually like exactly like teachers saying, actually, what does success actually look like for for every coach or for for a lot of coaches? It should be how many how many children or how many people are turning up to your sessions week in week out and how many smiles are how many smiles are people having through your session i think it's it's just trying to reframe that that measurement of success absolutely we had a a conversation at club not that long ago and and we talked about how do you define success um with a couple of the other coaches and yeah as you say to me it's, it's more about there's more players at the end of the season than there were at the start of the season which is quite a good indicator that you're doing something right as you go through, um, which definitely works for me. Um, mm. Do you you use the the phrase imposter syndrome, Clarky? So I'm curious um, how important, and I guess Rich, considering the the experience you've got and 
having been a swim coach and all sorts. So how important is an in-depth knowledge of the sport you're coaching to actually help you become a good coach? How, how important is it for you to actually totally understand the game and to have played it for years and years and years? I listened to, um, sorry, I need to dive in while it's fresh in my mind. We listened to Desert Island Discs last night with Arsene Wenger. Wow. All right. Oh, I, I mean, I was captivated. I, I mean, absolutely. I'm not a football fan, not an Arsenal fan, you know, but, well, there's somebody who hasn't got a, a, a star, you know, a starry playing career, but the way he learned, watched to get better, you know, understood his knowledge and then his understanding of, players was was really something that you couldn't help but admire whichever team you support so I think that just one that's my first point I suppose my second point was you don't let your ceiling be the ceiling of those you coach um you know and, and that was I think that was from Wayne Smith I think or Lynn Kidman I can't remember those, which of those two I'd, I'd heard that from and it was about you know at some point your your knowledge may um, the ones you've coached may need to go and go and explore be with somebody else who's got more experience more knowledge different experience different knowledge um, but it's that continual drive to get better that culture of self improvement there's a, a, a few other people I've talked to you before about maybe getting involved with coaching and they said well you know I just bring the kids along and I've never really played before and they're almost called quite defeatist before they even start so I'm always trying to encourage people that the actual experience of the game um, isn't particularly important. It's, they say it's how you apply yourself and how you want to develop yourself and bring yourself forward. I mean, yeah. Clark, have you you ever come across anything like that? Yeah, mate. I mean, I think coaching in general is about people. It's it's how you're interacting and how how you're able to to draw draw what you need from the from the player. So it's I think it's again. I'm butchering a quote now, but it's it's how you view the person you're coaching. Are they are they uh, full of information that you need to encourage and to draw out for them to sort of recognise and understand, or are you sort of giving them and topping them up full? Uh, I would I would probably go for the for the first where you're you're just enabling them to to explore and and find creative ways of of coming uh, or overcoming problems and that could be sort of moving forward you've got a defender in the way how do we beat that defender to complex tactical problems i think ha- having a a good understanding of the principles of whatever you're working with does help but to me it's it's really about how you're interacting with people and i think if you if you've got that you can learn technical tactical where if you're coming at it the other way and you struggle interacting with people, but you've got a great technical and tactical understanding it. I think you're going to, it's going to be a lot more difficult. Sure. I I just found it interesting watching the, um, the all or nothing series on the all blacks recently. And um, Jerome Kaino saying it possibly one of the world's best back rows ever saying about he coached his kid once and he'd never do it ever again. It's just, he just couldn't cope with it. Couldn't um, yeah, just couldn't handle the fact that they were running around having fun and, and not particularly doing what the coach wanted them to do, which is very interesting. So thinking about that, so how transferable do you think these coaching skills are? Then I mean, could I easily become a 
you know, my experiences in coaching rugby, I've coached volleyball in the past. Uh, so how easy would it be for me to transfer to say hockey or netball or something like that? What do you think? I mean, Cheech, do you want to take that one? Yeah, I think uh, I think it's about understanding the coaching process, uh, the how-to skills. So um, we just by the nature of, of the work I do at uni, I'm not a specialist in in all of the things I do, but what I get the students to do is I look at what we call the skills audit. So what skills are required to be competent at this activity? What what what's we did tennis yesterday, um, an adaptation of all tennis, COVID based. Um, and we looked at all the skills in that forty five minute session we had. Then we just wrote down the skills that were required of a good tennis player and then we started to build them into activities that we chose. So I think that if you understand the coaching process and understand elements of the game, I think inevitably you will be able to teach at a certain level. I think there again will be a ceiling where your experiences um, will be a limiting factor. Um, But I think if you can understand the coaching, I mean, I I have transferred skills ironically differently. Uh, Each year I teach on the nursing degree and the physio degree I teach about coaching skills in those particular environments. So coaching in rehab, coaching, working with somebody who's, uh, what are the coaching skills that are transferable to those different environments? And they start straight away as, you know, like he says, relationship, rapport, holistic view of what you're doing. Um, and, and then we go from there. So I think there is there is an opportunity to think about the skills you do as a rugby coach for example, look at another activity. Think, okay, well, this is how I'd approach that. Well, I was so firstly, I was thinking about. Um, I keep bumming and iron about getting on the level three for my rugby, and and having sat down with a, my Sharon, my dearly departed uh, from the RFU CRC. She's brilliant, absolutely brilliant. We sat down, had a couple of coffees, and I went in to the chat, determined to uh, sign on for the next level three, and came out determined to get on the next mentoring course. Uh, we just chatted about it and what my actual goals were in sport and as you say it's that people thing and that's the bit I really enjoy is the interaction with the players and, and all the other people involved with the team and trying to bring them forward so that's um, really cool um, Clark you got anything to add into that mate? Yeah I, I mean not a lot I mean Cheats Cheats is obviously a lot more experienced than I am with with development I think it's I think anything it's how you approach it. So again, sort of working with the teachers, it's they're not interested in just being better rugby coaches. It's it's about being able to apply that through through a whole curriculum of of sport. But again, it's just that that approach and how it's the soft skills and the how how we're approaching things. I think I think at any level you're going to have to have an, a basic understanding of technical and tactical elements, but sort of being able to for a rugby spit, spit, uh, sorry. A rugby's perspective I think knowing knowing the difference between a DSM and a DSP at under 12s is not going to be the be all and end all but being able to ask good questions and being able to check and challenge those answers is going to be a lot more valuable it's it's those soft skills and how you're coaching rather than what necessarily what sure sounds good I do like that the skills audit Chiefs. I like that concept and um, I can see that being used a lot Sort of looking at other sports. So, Clark, you 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 say now about the soft skills. So, um, if you were to be, uh, you know, as a prime example, we we took the kids to a festival um, 
two years ago now, so they've been under 10s. And uh, we were playing this one particular team in this festival. It was a great day. It was, the sun was shining. Kids were having fun. We were playing some lovely rugby. And uh, I turned around and saw a coach holding a tackle bag and the under-10s were running into it. And I just mentioned to the head coach of the, that particular team that we just played, I said, well, what's going on over there? And he said, well, that's, their, that's our forwards coach, which didn't sit right with me. Um, so I'm just mm. curious as to how you guys might approach that kind of scenario if you were to see something that you just thought was really wrong and shouldn't be happening and um, I mean Clarkie do you want to jump on that one first I mean how would you approach that kind of interaction or intervention with somebody um again sort of working so I've worked as a CCC in a club before and as a briefly as a minis and juniors chair and I think it's just being able to understand why they're doing it so they will have a reason generally the reason's really really good like for that example, the guy holding the tackle bag, he's he's in his head, obviously, he's wanting to prime them for contact. I think getting them to understand the dangers involved in that and why it's not a good idea, but also getting them to sort of think, ah, oh, is there a better way? How could we potentially achieve the, the objective or the outcome you're looking for without creating a lot of danger or a lot of challenge through? Um, I know an uh, acronym, APES, comes to mind and I use it a lot which is active purposeful enjoyable and safe what is what you're doing all of those I think it's it's a basic thing but I think a lot of a lot of people will see stuff they'll see YouTube videos and all sort of different things on social media and they'll go oh that's a great idea I'll I'll do that with with the under 10s without really understanding the context or or the why they're doing it with with that particular particular or in that particular environment yeah i, I suppose this is an interesting thing here where we kind of just be careful of um viewing it and, and there's multiple things that could be going on there could be somebody you know i asked and this question yesterday and last week you know why do you coach the way you coach and um one of the coaches said last night also because that's how i was coached and i really enjoyed it um and that's very often a, an answer that you get is the way that it worked for them is that what they perpetuate. But we've moved on from from what happened, you know, years ago or even last year, things changed. The tackle bag scenario, for example. So people may be coaching with goodwill and just simply not understand what they're doing and why they're doing may have some flaws in it. So it's actually think of it in two ways is somebody doing something that's clearly wrong and is reluctant to change or is somebody doing something that you could encourage them to think more about what they're doing reframe it and then thought i'd never thought of it like that you know i mean a very classic thing which i actually did with a triathlon presentation a few years ago is i I never forgot um watching a, a program on um the, the, a London Underground, a, a blind person taking their guide dog on the London Underground. The camera was on the, the on the guide dog, and it saw the world through their eyes. And I thought, okay, so I put a GoPro camera on Kitty's bike, and I and I watched it, and um, I saw my interaction with her, and I saw the world as she saw it. Car doors opening, the height of the hedge, the depth of the curb. I had much greater awareness of what she was, the world that she was living in. Yeah. I sometimes think if we can say to a coach, can you get as near to the experience of those you're coaching to give you greater empathy, greater understanding, would you be coached by you 
um, what do you think their world is like? And that can come down to language. You know, like he's mentioned, like, you know, dummy scissors pop and all these different things. But what's the language that, that, that those we're coaching like? Are we talking in their language or entering their world? And all of these things come into into the mix. That somebody who is coaching our goodwill, that volunteer, if it wasn't for them, they wouldn't have a coach, could be doing something really just because that's what they did when they were a kid 20, 20 years ago. Um, sure. And having them a little bit of, and it is, you know, that first thing you say to them, what would be the first thing you'd say? How would you avoid an awkward conversation? Yeah, I think that's it. It's the, it's the awkward, awkward conversation is the, the thing we're trying to avoid, isn't it? I mean, I've, I have seen coaches kind of almost going at each other before um, over what's right and wrong. I have personally subtly um, taken over sessions before. Um, wasn't my best moment. Um, but when the warm-up involves three rows of 12 kids and only one of them's moving and it's freezing cold and it's raining, the coach wasn't particularly well. I've, I've worked this warm up and it's it's going to be really good. It's all, can we not get them a bit more active? And I ended up taking over. So yeah, not my best moment, but I definitely reflected on that and I handled it. You know, next time I came across it, it was a completely different experience. So, it was very difficult though, for you to sit back and watch that. You know, somebody said, "Wait to the end and then yeah. comment." Think, oh, I've got an hour of this. You know, I can't, yeah. I can't hold myself back. It's too bad. You know that. Um, so it's instinctive, Andy, for you to want to do that, particularly if your child's in that session, or particularly if yes. you know the children's yeah. session is standing there freezing cold and clearly yeah. not having a good time. Yeah, it's really difficult. Um, I say, it, it, not not my best moment. There you go. Moving on. I think, I <laughs> think, then, Andy, I think it's for me. I, I learned the lesson early on. I was. It was actually a friend of mine. He was like, oh, I'm, I'm sort of struggling a little bit with my coaching. Can you come and watch watch the session? Sent me a session plan and sort of went through it, went off off piste and the kids weren't really getting it at any point. There was a lot of distraction, very, very chaotic, kids doing their own thing. He felt he looked like he under pressure and I was like, Oh, really feel for him. Like it wasn't it wasn't a great session to my eyes. And I remember he sort of came over and he was like, oh, so what did what did you think, Clark? And I was like, mate, tough session. Sort of, I see what you mean. And he was like, oh, I actually thought it was one of my better sessions. And I spent the next sort of forty five minutes sort of trying to try and bring him back up. And I think without without sort of setting a an understanding of what what you're aiming for and and what we're looking for, it's it's very difficult to in the moment try and give feedback when when they're under pressure and sort of there's the pressure of trying to keep keep whoever you're coaching involved and active I think it's uh, and now I always sort of ask sort of what what are we looking for what does success look I'm really really checking it so if something isn't isn't happening in a session or it's it's a little bit wide you have that basis to be able to sort of go back in question and go ah actually how active are we being here cool that's definitely an objective we we need and it makes those conversations a lot easier rather than sort of feeling ah actually I'm probably need to step in here because it's 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 going sideways pretty quick sort of it's it just allows allows us to to talk about it and hopefully they can they can adapt and adjust cool so thinking beyond the session then obviously we do the the whole plan do review kind of thing um how important is reflection 
as part of the, the coach development process. Um, I mean, what does reflection look like to you guys? I mean, Clarkie, do you want to jump on that one first? Yeah, I think reflection is massively important, sort of self-reflection and being able to reflect with, with the people you're coaching. Um, I do a lot of reflection with, with players and people that I coach as well and just getting honest feedback. I think Chichi said about sort of trying to get that, that person view of your coaching and sort of what their experience is. Um, I think it can be a double-edged sword. So I know a lot of coaches have a negative bias to their coaching. So it's, it can, if you're not checking it properly, it can be, it can be quite demoralizing. Most people sort of come out of a session and go, ah, I didn't do this or I didn't do this. So I think it's really important to be really balanced and honest in your reflection. So making sure you are picking out the good stuff as well as the bad. I, I do find it interesting when I talk to coaches about, so how do you think that went? They always, as you say, they always pick out the things that didn't go well. They ignore the fact that there were 30 kids running around with smiles on their faces. It's the fact they forgot that four minute session that they planned to do X, Y, Z and they didn't fit it in and, and they sort of beat themselves up about it. it Chiefs, how does, um, as part of your work at the uni, how do you, I mean, do you actually teach reflection? Is it something that you educate people on? Yeah, but, um, I think uh, there's, a, there's, there's, there's a whole raft of work around re- reflection, reflective practice and what that looks like. And if we strip it back down, I think there's, there's the menu for me is being prepared to have those ouch moments. Um, you know, you said it's not your proudest moment. Well, look, Andy, you, you, you're certainly not alone. You're not a man in a phone box. You know, you're, you're a man with everybody else, lots of coaches different sports who would wince when they look back at the first thing they did or something that didn't work. And true reflection is to be able to not sugarcoat things um, and to accept that inevitably we are going to make mistakes. But the desire for us to get better means that we have to reflect. We have to reflect on a personal level. Um, even the podcast tonight, you might look back and think, you know, how did it went? Okay, well, and I'd say to you, when you do maybe look on back tonight, you think you've got to reflect with perspective. And other people yeah, give you perspective. Yeah. I don't always think we give ourselves perspective. You know, Dusty Miller is the great one for absolutely nailing perspective when you sit and do reflective practice. Ivan Torpy, Clive Cashel, um, the people who may not be familiar with it, but very experienced rugby coach educators and mentors. So I think we have to reflect. We have to learn how to reflect. We have to encourage people to reflect. And that question is, when you ask people, you know, how did it go? Naturally, people are very, very self-deprecating. I wish I'd done this. Yeah. So what's that opening question you'd say to somebody? It could be simply, what's the thing you're most pleased about? And immediately yeah. that kind of yeah. reframes that go-to place that says, oh, next time I'd have done this and done that. Yeah, well, we know that. We'll come to that later. And also what I found, and I struggle with this at uni, I'll say it, Say here, I'd say now. I don't think it's good, bad, good is a very good reflective tool. Um, and this is why we encourage to do this feedback. And I, I rally against it because the good, bad, good to me, when you give somebody good feedback, they are listening to what's coming, not what's just being delivered to them. Yeah, yeah. You know, reflection is a dialogue with no formal process of we start here, we finish here. Um, you know, um, so I would say, I've gone on quite a lot really, teach people to understand the benefits of reflection, don't be scared of it, that's where you learn, 
reflect with someone or give you perspective. Reflect with a group. Ask them their reflections. Um, you know, <laughs> kids are very honest. Most students are very honest. Um, I like that. Yeah, the emperor's new, emperor's new clothes. Okay, so surround himself with people who said look magnificent, and then when he walked out, he realised he was naked. People were too scared to tell him what he was what he was like. We don't want to be in that world. No. And I, th- I think you can you can do it at such a young age as well. So, you, I mean, like really simple stuff that we do is: can you rate the session out of ten, or can you give me a score out of ten of how you're feeling about that? I mean, again, it, it's just allowing allowing people that may not be that comfortable, but it just gives you a barometer of their understanding and where they are, as well as giving you an understanding of sort of how they're how they're feeling about stuff. It's it can be really really simple rather than asking someone ah. What do you think I could have done better in that session? Just going, how did you feel about it? Like, how yeah. how how were your enjoyment levels out of ten? Like, sometimes you'll get the people that are sort of quite nice, but if you do it do it enough, they'll start to be quite honest with you. And I think that that's quite a useful tool that I use a lot. So, to thinking about what you say about the reflect group reflection, then um, a word that's used a lot in rugby and team sports is culture. So to get that kind of honest reflection, honest feedback, how important is a team culture? How do you develop a good culture? And who creates it? Cheats, what would you uh, say to that? Well, I think, um, you know, culture is something you, you go in with the idea of you're going to, we're going to have a culture of this honesty or whatever your culture is built upon, but it has to be collaborative. I talk about learning partnership at uni with my students and we, we talk about what's this partnership going to look like and what what's going to make you flourish. And, and we we sort of shape that together as much as we can. It's hard at the moment. And the culture is the same as, as well. But, you know, if you're going to have a culture, you have to embody it. So I, I went to um, uh, one of premiership clubs, actually, about 18 months ago with one of their academies and just invited just to spend an evening with their coaches and they're rewriting their academy um, strategy. And one of the things that we came out of it from the culture code, which is you know, a book well worth reading is being able to say, if I asked, who would I ask out of all of these coaches or all these players, which one would I go to, to ask about the culture of the club and being it. And somebody said, Oh, ask any of them. They all know it. And that's the place you want to be. And if you have a yeah. culture of honesty and trust, then you have to embody that. Um, so the coach leads the culture to collaboration with the players and the parents. You know, that's the culture of that club. Um, and ensuring that when people talk about culture, they're def- able to define aspects of it. So one final thing, really, which I've been exploring quite a lot, really in discussions and find it very helpful is we have a culture of trust now what i then do is okay well tell me what trust feels like don't just put that word on the board and what word do you think they all come back when they always come back with this word what does trust feel like what does trust like feel like andy does it feel like to you how would you describe it how would you describe it clarky i'd say security yeah that's yeah, it. They yeah, come back with they they come back with safety. Yeah. Trust okay. is about feel. I feel safe in this environment. Yeah. Safe to share things with you. So I feel safe with the 
activities you're giving me. If I shared something important, I know I would trust you with it. I trust you, the knowledgeable person who can guide me to here. And and that's really a good question. When you talk about a culture, describe what that culture feels like. Give me a, a description of when it happened to you. I, I, yeah. I mean, I totally agree with that. I mean, like for me, I'm I'm sort of very, very big on values. I wouldn't necessarily say I'd be that purposeful around culture, especially in my own coaching, but I talk a lot about behaviours. So trying to bring that, bring bring the culture to life almost, and the culture would be a byproduct of those behaviours. So again, if if we're, I, I I dislike the word, but sort of having banter with people and sort of ribbing people, is that is that a behaviour that we actually want in the team? Potentially, yes. Like some some teams are happy with it. Would it would it necessarily breed sort of that that vulnerability and that that trust? No. And I think it's yeah. it's being able to have conversations around actually one, yes, I mean it's it's a great word to have. We want trust in our team, but what what does that look and feel like? Can we can we identify the behaviors that build trust? Can we identify what we're doing to to actually make it happen? I mean, like the treads treads for me, sort of the teamwork, respect, enjoyment, discipline, and sportsmanship, they they shouldn't just be words that are sort of wield, wielded around on a Sunday. They're they're really embodying sort of behaviours that that we're looking for, and that that then enables the culture to be built and evolve as evolve as sort of time goes on, rather than necessarily just going. Ah, oh, we need to have more respect, and no one really understanding what the word means to them. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah totally. So we can't just the coach can't start stand up at the start of the season and write a phrase on the thing. This is our culture. Yeah, it's, mm. it's got to be that whole. Everybody builds into it. It's interesting you say about the banter there, Clarky, because we did a, a similar thing with a college lad last year, where we we wrote down what we believed was acceptable, unacceptable, and exceptional behaviours. Um, banter was in there, but the the underpinner for that was don't be Joe Marler. Sorry, Joe, if you're listening. <laughs> um, so yeah, you, you can have a laugh with people, but don't cross the line, which I think is quite an important thing to say because it's again, it's that. You're not going to get people to open up. You're not going to build get their trust if they think they're going to suddenly be ripped apart, which is really important. Um, guys, I'm, keen, I'm conscious that time is ticking on. So for all of our people out there who, obviously, with COVID going on at the moment, um, a lot of people are saying there's not really any opportunities to do any coach development. Um, I can imagine there could be thousands of potential answers to this. I'd just like some top recommendations that these uh, coaches listening could go out and what would be your favourite coaching book, Cheats? What would you recommend and why as a book to read to encourage people to do a coach development? Oh, wow, that's probably on the spot, isn't it? Um, <laughs> heck? Uh, well, it's all about trust. Yeah, okay, well, it's actually, yeah, it's Emotional Agility by Susan David. There you go, it's not a coaching book. Um, I really like it. Um, it's uh, quite, it's quite broad. I think that um, that's the one I, I'm finding from a more holistic view of coaching. What book would I choose um, that would be informative and, um, and and a good starting point? Probably Wade Gilbert, Coaching Better Every Season. So two very different ones. One's more of a holistic view. One is the more what we might call pure coaching, if you like, session designed. Athlete about development. 
What about you, Clarky? Uh, Books-wise, um, I don't know. I mean, like for me, I've been rereading Legacy. I think it's I think it's a great book and sort of talking about culture and environment and. Um, so but, I'm just chuckling because there's a copy of it right next to me with a bookmark. Oh, right, I think I think everyone <laughs> everyone I speak to has either got a copy or read it. Um, I think I think a book that's sort of helped me personally around my coaching probably would be The Chimp Paradox. Um, okay. It's a sort of fascinating book about sort of how how the mind works and how how we sort of interact with with different stimuluses. And yeah, I, I mean, I'd I'd really recommend that for. For anyone going into coaching or sort of any, anything to do with people, really, I think it's interesting. So, just sort of looking at titles there, I mean, emotional agility and chimp paradox. Is there a link there? Who's Have that? Both Say again, sorry. Do we think there's a link? Do we think there's a link between emotional agility and chimp paradox? Ready. God, I, I did try to read the Chimp Paradox, and I struggled with it, to be honest. Um, not that it's a bad book, I don't mean that. Maybe I wasn't in the right space to read it. I, I really like Emotional Agility because it's the right book for me at the moment, and I wonder whether that's the same with anybody else. You know, you sort of think, okay, what... Um, it's like a podcast, you listen to it, and it just has to be sit with where you are in your development. Um, five minutes long. Um, yeah, so I, I would say... Right. Um, I'd, I'd like to know a bit more about the chimp virus. I'm still fascinated by that. But okay. that didn't work for me, so I went for the other one. Okay, that's cool. Again, as you say, we were saying earlier about the the learning, it's the right learning for the right person at the right time, isn't it? Um, yeah, it's, it's like anything. Isn't it? I think it's just what do I need to get better at. What's Where's my deficiencies or where's things I'd like to become stronger at? And then that might guide you or scouring through you know, the bookshelves or dare I say Amazon. Cool. <laughs> Other booksellers are available. Um, <laughs> so, so Clarky, uh, online resource, where would you head to? If you thought I've got 10 minutes, I'm going to look at someone online. Where would you head first? Oh, difficult question. I mean, I, I, I really do like the magic Academy. I think, I mean, I, I love, I love Rusty and Fletch anyway. And I think, they they definitely influenced a lot of my my coaching and sort of definitely my instilled a sort of fiery passion passion for coaching. Um, so yeah, I'd, I'd recommend that. Um, I think I think to be honest, there's there's so much out there. I think the risk is you you can have a look at stuff and without for me it's all contextual. Like you have to you have to be able to understand stuff within context. And I think a lot of a lot of online online platforms really really struggle with that um i, I see a, i call it copy and paste coaching but i see a lot of coaches sort of going on youtube um i think kaibo the keep keep your boots on web web where they do these sessions are absolutely fantastic but so many coaches will just repeat those sessions without really understanding the the why of the session or what they're trying to achieve out of it i think i think just trying to trying to be inventive and just Talk, talk to other coaches. Talk to other coaches would be the best, best one for me. Interesting, you said about the, the keep your boots on. Um, having done cards CPD, so the creativity, awareness, resilience, decision making, and self organisation, and so many other people on the course were expecting to come out with a big book of sessions. Yeah, the kind of concept of of the CPD because it was it's more about you know creating your own and, and driving that way. 
I mean, Cheats, last question. Have you got any kind of online resource you jumped to straight away? Just to do um, research, I can imagine. Yeah. About a thousand books on your machine. Yeah, I think, uh, it's like he says about context, we spoke that earlier, didn't we? You know, is, uh, how can I take this into my session and it, to fit rather than, or oh, how does that work? I'll just pick up and drop it in. I have to say UK Coaching has got some very good online learning resources. Um, yeah. You know, you can access a whole variety of things from community practice, uh, ideas, um, anything, some sort of basics in terms of either reflective practice, there's a session on that, um, communication, step model explained. Um, there's, there's a whole variety. I, I just think it's getting richer and richer, that UK coaching. I think they're widening their, their reach and they're widening the, the pool of experienced coaches they bring in alongside the ones who work from. So I think it's well worth looking at. Yeah, I've, I've done some of their things through, through lockdown. I did a, a mental health awareness and a couple of other bits, which are really, really good, really well laid out, easy to follow. So, of course, they've got to mention Rugby Coach Weekly as well. Some good resources on there. Yeah, it's um, very good. Plans. Um, guys, I'm conscious of taking up a lot of your time. Um, thank you very much for your input and for putting up with my questions. So, guys, I'd just like to say a huge thanks again to my very special guests for giving up their time and joining me today. So, thanks to Clarky. You're welcome, mate. Thank you very much for having me. And thanks to Cheats. Thank you, Andy, and good to have a chat with, with all of you. And uh, thank you very much. It's been really, really enjoyable. Appreciate the invitation. Thank you. Cool. Uh, thanks, everyone, for listening. Hope you enjoyed the discussion as much as we did. And we'll see you next time. Bye for now. So, Clarky and Cheats are gone. Uh, really, really enjoyed that chat. It was great. Uh, loads of notes I've made out the back of it. Just wanted to share a few words that keep coming up on a regular basis. So, language, relevance, engagement, relationship, trust adaptability, honesty. Um, I think if we can kind of bear those in mind as we're doing our session design, doing our session plan, thinking about the direction we're going with our groups uh, and how we want to apply that to our development, I don't think we can go far wrong. So huge thanks again to Cheeks and Chuck Clarkie for joining me. Hope you guys enjoyed listening as much as we enjoyed talking. Thanks again and I'll see you soon. Bye for now. We'll be right back.